Oh my God! Lock the door! Lock the door! They're coming! They're coming! Help! Help! They're coming! They're coming! Listen to me! Listen! Help me! You're next, please! Please! You're next! We're in danger! Please! Listen to me! Something terrible! Please! You're next! Here they are! They're already here! Come! You're next! They're coming! They're coming! We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I, I hope you enjoyed our conversation about uh, Eye of Newton. Um, that was the midway point of uh, season one of um, the 80s Twilight Zone. So we're going to take a bit of a break because uh, we, I thought about that. I'm like, well, you know what? That, that didn't take too long. We started that in January and we got to the halfway point, like, you know, at the end of August. So yeah, it did take a while to get through the first half of that season. Well, considering we were doing each story um, <laughs> per episode, so I, it was a lot to chew on, and hopefully our fans appreciate that. I think that uh, you know, with all that information, you can't just fit that all in one episode and then move on to the next. You know, it's like you got to give all those things, those subjects, uh, their own time. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think we that's um, the best way to approach it is uh, segment by segment. But there's a lot there, and you know, it's like I, you know, realizing that that one season of television. It's going to take us probably, well, I mean, it's going to take us over a year to get through all of it, but you know, whatever that's, you know, we got only so much twilight zone left to get to. So you gotta, you know, you gotta nibble on it, you know, as opposed to just like uh, binging it. Um, cause I, I think we live in a very bingeable society now in terms of content. So it's like, you just turn around and it's gone and you don't really get a chance to think about it. Like I just recently smashed uh season five of Cobra Kyle Netflix in one night, which I mean, it's, you know, it's only like 10 episodes, but you know, what, what's more beneficial me just, you know, getting, you know, just fat and lazy binging something one night or like letting it like parse it out for a couple of weeks to actually kind of enjoy, enjoy the entire experience of it. It is a weird experience now to, um, have one versus the other. Cause watching things episodically when they would come out on TV, it's like, Oh, I got to wait until next week. When I was uh, catching up on uh, what we do in the shadows, the previous season that have been, seasons that have been released, I'm like, oh, I can watch like five episodes in a row before I go to bed. Now it's like I'm waiting each week, just clamoring for the next episode. Like, come on, give it to me, release <laughs> it early. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think I think there's something to be said for having anticipation and like you know like looking forward to something. So yeah, that's kind of how I, I view that what we do here, especially since we've been watching the Twilight Zone, you know, uh chronologically. Well, 
technically we covered the original series everybody welcome to strange highways we covered the original twilight zone and then we covered the two paramount plus seasons when they came out because they were current at the time and it would have felt weird to not get into them and now we're in the, we're covering the 80s and we're at the midpoint of season one so we're taking a little bit of a break uh we're gonna go have some detours for a little bit uh because i think we deserve a little time off from the twilight zone not that it's been a chore but you know um sometimes it's sometimes like you know you get something like uh, her pilgrim soul and you're like you know i'm good i'm good i think i think i i think i'm full enough right now of twilight zone for a minute you know, yeah, a little, yeah. little pallid cleanse. Yeah. Know? So uh, what we've gotten into here, it's going to be a 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, it's a film I, I had not seen uh, to this point, which that should be on my list of shame, but it's been crossed off. Uh, it's been one of those ones that's been, you know, you with the people involved um, and especially in the original two, there's a lot of crossover with the Twilight Zone. So you, why not? This feels like it's a good thing to cover here, right in our right in our wheelhouse. So uh, release date for Invasion of the Body Snatchers was December twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. Um, I was just in this world for just as of two months. I was I was also a pod under a bed somewhere, probably. Um, I I probably looked just as good as whatever was coming out of these freaking pods in this movie. Um, probably even even human size no one told me how i looked as a baby i was probably as big as i am now anyway uh number one song was uh la freak by chic um number one film uh every which way but loose um you got your clint eastwood in there and you got clyde the orangutan that um don't 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 go reading about those movies you you find out some very sad backstories about the, the shooting of those movies are you sure that was a uh, 1978 uh, around this time? Yeah, I looked. At, I mean, I could be wrong oh. again, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I, I looked up the the release date. I, yeah, uh, December 22nd. That that period of time in 1978, I have Superman. But I mean, oh my goodness, did did my my website that steals my identity fail me again? Uh, <laughs> I mean. I'm going off of Wikipedia. If that is wrong, then it would be, you know, it would okay, just be no, so because no, no, of this just, Wikipedia. No, no you're probably, oh my goodness. Well, uh, what day? Well, anyway, like, like, I like this, like, welcome to the show, everybody, where I'm, I'm wrong. Just, you can just, just uh, have a drinking game all the times. It says for here, but like, who knows where this was number one. It says every which way, but loose was the number one film on, on Friday, December 22nd. Um, I don't know if that means that Superman came out that weekend and like actually, you know, took the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if coming into that maybe, um, but you know, one is a film that uh, changed uh, movies as we know it. And the other one is Clint Eastwood with an orangutan that, uh, it's um, still badass. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I love uh, that movie. Yeah, just you know, poor Clyde the orangutan. Uh, his uh, his trainer was uh, a monster. So yeah. Anyway, it, so yeah. this was definitely an interesting year for film. I mean, like you had a lot of good stuff come out around that time. You know, obviously, uh, I'm a huge fan of Grease. Uh, Dawn of the Dead was released that year. Animal House, mm -hmm. Up in Smoke, Midnight Express. Like there were some awesome films uh, released. That year. Magic, which we had discussed on another. That's right. Episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a good year. Uh, and also invasion of the body snatcher. So, um, Ooh. so what, uh, what I have here for the actual happened on this day, uh, December 22nd, 78, uh, the Chicago serial killer, John Wayne Gacy, uh, was arrested. So he had actually at that, the, they would find out that he, like he was convicted. Well, he was convicted of the murder of, uh, 33 young men and boys, uh, that he committed these murders between 72 and 78. So he actually got arrested on this day. So that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I, that is 
nuts. I mean, to even think about it and, you know, uh, but I didn't really have anything else for day and date unless you had any other notes. About no, that. it's just, it's with Wikipedia. I mean, I, like it's weird also Googling some of this stuff because we, like you go back to like the original twilight zone, like it's like history is a lot more, you know, it's a little bit more past. I mean, not that I'm saying 78 is like, you know, it, like it's 40, you know, it's going to be 40, uh, four years ago, uh, when this film, you know, the, the anniversary is coming up here. So it isn't like, you know, we have not enough time to think about it, but for whatever reason, the, the, the cultivation of information, it's, it seems like there was a lot more, specifically written Wikipedia for some of this stuff. And it was easier to Google those times in like the late fifties, early sixties versus like the seventies and especially the eighties. Cause you know, I scrambled to try to find anything uh, remotely close to the day and date for the, some of the twilight zone stuff. So it gets a little weird. Yeah. So but crazy enough as it was. Yeah. yeah. So John Wayne Gacy, another yeah. psychopath <laughs> that yeah. we, we've why, talked about. Why do here. people not like clowns? I don't know why. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Him and Stephen Stephen King have ruined him for everybody. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's like you know the guy that actually was the murderer. Like he was partially responsible, but Stephen King's the big reason. You know, like that's that's the guy. Um, I feel like that people should be more afraid of Brown McDonald because of the fact that he's influenced uh, the young children to get diabetes when they did. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm, you know, that maybe that's, you he know, killed, he killed way more than any other clown and, and I, maybe, <laughs> or not. I'm, I've already been, uh, he's had his eyes set on me, you know? So I'm like, all right, Ronald, I'm next, I guess. But you know, um, yeah. Um, well there's also that terrifier movie coming out the sequel. Did you see the original terrifier? I, um, I haven't seen any of them. I think there was like all hollows Eve where the character, the art, the clown yeah. too. I, I am not a fan. I saw terrifier last year, uh, in October. I'm not a fan, but he's a creepy clown. And some people are like, yeah, this is one of the new, like slasher, like guys that it's like, you know, people are trying to put him in like the same, like, you know, pantheon of like the slashers that we know. I don't know. But anyway, there's a sequel coming and it's still, it's another clown that is, uh, you know, I clown clowns do not bring joy. I don't know why they exist. <laughs> well, uh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> So let's but get into, I, yeah, I yeah, let's get into who did what here for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, so to our film we go, um, our director on this is uh, Philip, Philip Kaufman. Uh, he did The Wanderers. Uh, he was also a writer. Uh, wasn't a whole lot of in, uh, output that I uh, recognized from his directing, but uh, as, as a writer, he, he had done uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I believe is far more important of a film than the wanderers, but you mm. could change You could try to judge me on that opinion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he, you're right. He was a co-writer on Raiders. It wasn't like it was him helping with like the, like the action sequences and things, but he still gets credit for mm. co-creating the characters just because of the original script. So he actually has a writing credit, um, technical with even the new Indiana Jones coming out. So that's cool. Um, but in terms of him, he, he didn't have a lot of films made, I think like 10 total, which I mean, that's still 10 more than me, but his, like, he kind of like, he would, um, do things his own way and kind of thumb his nose at the system. So whenever he, um, his, some of his earlier films, um, uh, kind of got him on the map because he was doing things his own way and, you know, kind of, um, like blazing his own trail. And so there was a movie he made called white Dawn that uh Clint Eastwood saw and he was like I need I want you to come in and and, and direct uh, the outlaw Josie Wales and so he was brought in but then he was fired like within like just a couple of days of shooting or whatever because Eastwood was pissed that he was taking too many takes 
And like, he was basically like, you're wasting time and money. And so Eastwood like kicked him off the project. Cause Eastwood's notoriously known for like, not like he's like, we got it, move on type of thing. So he's like, I like your style, but wait, you want me to say this line over and over again, get out of here, you know, type of thing. So, um, so that happened. Then he went on to direct the right stuff. Yeah, uh, you know the film about like um uh, the the astronauts, right? And like um the going getting into space won like I think it won like best picture. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that. I know that came out like the mid '80s. So and he so it's like his career's kind of kind of like all over the place in terms of like he was independent, but he was also like an Oscar winning filmmaker. And then he comes in to do something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it's like this is like I don't know I don't know how to who I'd equate him to in terms of like. Um, you know, oh, like you're going to do a horror movie now, and now you're going to do like you got signed to do a western, and now you're going to do like a like um like a biopic about like NASA, like like what's a director now that would move from like from that and have like a very um like large you know, portfolio, right, of different types of films. Probably Spielberg would be the closest that I can come to that would be directing still now, and it's kind of been all over the map because he even did that. Um, oh. He did the documentary about the war, like one of the wars, so like World War Two or something like yeah. that, I believe. So but, I mean, um, that's that's as fair. Far as yeah. Older directors, that was like that was kind of the thing, the norm. You know, you just picked up for a project. Like Ford did all kinds of stuff. That's true. I guess that that's fair, but it's just like in terms of this guy's output, it's like, you know, he, you know, he actively like it looks like these were very conscious decisions or projects he wanted to take as opposed to just being um, put on as a gun for hire. That's the kind of the vibe I got looking at his output. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then so on to our writer credits we got go here. Um, it, we have two writers that are credited. Uh, the original story was done by a gentleman by the name of Jack Finney. Um, he in he had also did a uh, wrote a story for Amazing Stories, so I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to bring up as far as Jack. Well, so like he he wrote a number of of books and had a successful career, but the thing that's interesting to me is that um, the book Invasion of the Body Snatchers he it was published in '55 and then got turned into a movie in '56. Um, that's that's fast even for then in terms of something coming out and getting turned around into like a movie. And how that became like a big hit and that just kind of, you know, put him on the map. So it's like that, that's crazy. Um, I didn't realize the, how fast sometimes you'll have that stuff where like, you know, a story was published in like a pulp magazine, like 10 years previous, which we saw a lot of that with the twilight zone, right. Or even before that, but this was like immediately out and immediately became a movie. Yeah. I, there's not, there's not a whole lot of, um, input that I can give about the book. I started to do the audio book today. And uh, it, it is quite a bit different from the narrative in this, but I, you know, it, 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 that's usually how it goes. Um, and that's, I'm sure where, why the, the screenplay was done by this other gentleman, which I'll bring up in a second. But have you ever seen the original film? Oh, I think I have years ago. Um, you know, it's just one of those like hazy, you know, like um, a TNT like classics or, you know, Turner classic movies, like when I was in high school or something. I have not seen the original, um, and you know, I, I feel like that's a shame thing on me, like shame on me, because uh, I've seen a lot of like the weird Atomic Age uh, science fiction films, and like the the ones that kind of influence a lot of like the 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 looming idea of uh, the others or the different people, because that that's definitely a theme in this. 
And I have not seen uh, the two remakes that came out uh, after this, too. Uh, we may be talking about that later. We'll see. But yeah, so uh, yeah, this is uh, the only version I've seen of it. And I feel ashamed to say that. But well, I mean, but otherwise, yeah. um, I, well, I mean, I wouldn't say feel ashamed. I mean, it's like I, I, well, I, I am surprised because as much as you and I have talked about, like some of the older films and you talked about like the household you grew up in and like a lot of the older things you guys watch. This all this almost felt like a slam dunk that you'd already seen this. So I guess I would just assumed uh, incorrectly because um, I know there's a lot from this time frame of of the original that I know you have seen. Yeah, well, and, you know, I've, I've collectively I've probably seen about uh, ten to fifteen seconds of it only because it was in the movie Gremlins, and that okay. was the movie that the kid was watching. Well, that count that counts. <laughs> then that means you've seen it. No, <laughs> I've seen the whole thing. I I know everything I need to. <laughs> but but it's all. But it's funny though because like it's one of those movies. It, it, it's very with us talking about the twilight zone and about how everybody's like, I love the twilight zone. And they mentioned like the same five things. Um, this is one of those movies that it's like, it's so, well, maybe, maybe this one too, cause the ending we'll get there when we get there. Um, and then the original, like it's so burned in like to the, like the pop culture, like, like mind, right? Like it's, it's burned in. It's, you can't, you can't not know this. And the idea of like, you mentioned the other or like pod people, it's so like it's permeating everything. So even though we may not have seen every iteration of this, um, we're already well aware of what this is because it's, it's how effective it is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, then uh, next year, our, we're going to uh, talk about our next writing credit on this. Uh, the, uh, the gentleman that did the uh, screenplay, uh, W.D. Richter. 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 It's Richter. Like Richter. Richter. Like, yeah. Like the, the scale. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Richter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. And uh, so, yeah, his uh, other credits as far as uh, writing, uh, Dracula uh, version of the, the famous monster movie from 1979. Um, he has a, a partial writing credit on Big Global, a uh, Big Trouble in Little China, and then um, partial credit. I believe, yeah, the screenplay for Needful Things. Yeah, he also wrote and directed um, Buckaroo Banzai, which I know it's a longer name for that movie, and. Um, you know, that, that's one of those movies that have now grown in cult popularity. I've not seen it. That's actually one of those ones. It's like, I know, I know of it, just have not seen it. But yeah, he and uh, Carpenter, when they were working on their version of the script for Big Trouble in Little China, uh, he and Carpenter got along really well. And it's just like, let's just get weird. And like, you know, it's like, it seemed like they had a good chemistry together because I love that movie. And it just, Richter also seems like one of those guys. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to make this the way I want to make it. So like, you know, it's, it's interesting that we have him and we also have uh Kaufman who are these guys that, you know, had success in, you know, like modern filmmaking and like, you know, Hollywood, but they're also kind of like, I, this is the way I see it. Well, either you're, either you're going to give me the job and we're going to be successful or not, you know? So there's kind of like, um, um, not rogue mentality of this, but it's very much like, they're not going to play by the rules. They're going to, they're going to do what they, they want to make the art they want to make. And I think that also permeates this film a lot. Yeah. And I, you gotta, you gotta appreciate that because uh, the movie's wonderful. I, I mean, I can't gloat enough about this film, um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that later, but yeah. So moving into our cast, uh, we got some familiar faces uh, amongst the, the horror genre and, uh, and alike. Um, so leading us off here is that uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, a father of Keeper Sutherland. Um, but yeah, he plays Matthew Benner, Benell. Uh, some people may know him from Animal House. Uh, lately, he's been in the Hunger Games films. 
and he was and also a really uh i i think it's a great uh sci-fi horror film with jamie lee curtis called virus and then he was also in uh the original buffy the vampire slayer film yeah and um this um he did a lot of BBC uh, stuff, which is, I, I was reading his bio and it's like, he's Canadian, but he ended up doing BBC things. And he, uh, he was on a show and he actually asked, um, like, can I borrow this footage? Cause I have, a, um, an audition. Um, and they let him do it. And he, it was actually, they got him into, uh, what was it? Kelly's heroes. Uh, and then he ended up in mash the film, uh, and lock up. I know you love your prison films. Oh, I love that movie. It's yeah. so good with, uh, with Sly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just one of those guys, like I looked at his, his output, the guy's made a lot of stuff, but it's like, every time I see Donald Sutherland, I'm happy. Like I, I just like him as an actor. He's just, he has an interesting look. I like his, his line delivery. Um, it just, he's one of those guys that I feel like he could like move between genre and like high class projects and you wouldn't even bat an eye. And then next on our casting list, uh, we have, uh, Brooke Adams. Uh, she plays Elizabeth Briscoll. Uh, some people may know her from uh, the Dead Zone, the Stephen King adaptation. She was in that, and another Stephen King adaptation she was in, which she was uh, in. Sometimes they come back, and then she plays a very small bit role in um, the stuff. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I know that uh, she was in that movie Shockwaves, which I have not seen, but it's the movie she was in before this, which is about uh, Nazi zombies that I need to get to. Like, it's like these guys find a, like a ship and it's full of like Nazi zombies or something. It sounds, it sounds like schlocky as hell, but I want to watch it. Um, and then she, yeah, it sounds yeah. right up my alley too. Yeah. Like, it's, it sounds I'm, pretty I'm great. Kind yeah. of like bummed out. I haven't seen it. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like Terry, like invasion of the body snatchers or shockwaves. It's like, well, I'm going to get shockwaves first. You know, I get it. Um, she's married to Tony Shalhoub. So I think that's, you know, like, you know, good. And she's been in like multiple episodes of monk, but playing different characters, which I think was funny. Um, but yeah, like that's, I, I just, she kept reminding me of somebody I could have put my finger on who, and I was like, this person probably had a pretty big career. And I'm like, Oh, she, you know, she did well for herself, but like not much else stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I definitely remember her from the the dead zone. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was something that was kind of fresh in my mind because in my book club, we more recently covered that about a year ago, I believe. So mm-hmm. I had to watch the movie, but, yeah. um, but yeah, next uh, here we have uh, the ever famous Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I mean, this guy won't go away. I love him. He's he's the best, and uh, he plays Jack uh, Pilecki. Uh, Balecki, I'm sorry. Right? That's how, I think that's I, how it's pronounced. I think yeah. I mean I kept wanting to call him Belloc, which I know that's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It makes me think that maybe that our our a director here kind of took that name and changed it a little bit. I'm kidding, but yeah, I think it's uh, Belloc Belichick. I'm kidding. I don't think that's right. But yeah. Yeah. Jeff, yeah, Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum as himself, action. as an angry version of himself here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, uh, he is most famous, I believe, uh, for The Fly and Jurassic Park. He was also in Independence Day. And here's one credit that I wanted to bring up because uh, I know that you're a fan of the series, but he was in Death Wish mm-hmm. as freak number one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> that was his first <laughs> acting credit, apparently. It was. And that was in 74 and this film's in 78. So he's, you know, considering he was just like one of the weirdos in the beginning of Death Wish that, you know, um, killed uh, uh, Charles Bronson's wife. Um you know, like, oh no, sorry. Yeah. He, yeah, they killed her. Um, and then to go on like four years later and actually be like, like, um, a major part of this movie, like he, he was moving up pretty fast for what he was you know, doing. So I thought that was worthy of note. Yeah, definitely. So on uh, next year we have uh, Veronica Cartwright 
And she plays uh, the wife of Jack, uh, Nancy. And she was in uh, one episode of Twilight Zone that uh, uh, talked about way long ago from the original series, uh, Icing the Body Electric. And then um, we had more recently talked about her probably about a year ago now. Uh, she was in the movie Nightmares, that, that anthology film with uh, uh, Emilio Estevez. Yeah. And she was also in The Birds. She was and, in The Birds. Uh, yeah. I think most famously she was in Alien. Yeah. I just like if you need somebody that looks like they're about to snap and lose their shit, you get you get Veronica Cartwright to do it. I think that she has such a good like. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not okay. Like <laughs> vibe that cast perfectly in this, uh, alien and, and, um, uh, uh, nightmares. Yeah. She goes from zero to pissing yourself, like uh, insanely crazy, like scared. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, with the things, the credits that we just gave aliens, the birds and nightmares, yeah, we kind of see that face. <laughs> it would be funny, but, um, like she get cast in like Kramer versus Kramer or something, and she's just like fine, and then she just snaps at Dustin Hoffman. You're like, whoa, oh, where did that come from? Like, just con- like, so, like I'd love to have her being like this big like prestige drama, and then she just does the same thing. It would just be, you know, I don't know. That never happened, but that's in my head. But continue. Who else do we have? Uh, well, be uh, <laughs> brief aside too. Uh, the last thing I'll mention about her is that she was in another remake of of this movie um in, in 2007 i believe it was and it was just called invasion but yeah she was um, that's right she was in that as well yeah is that the one with um oh uh nicole kidman yeah it's the invasion yeah, and her and james bond that one it was okay it wasn't great um it tried to it, it tried to like be like well this is the third time we're approaching this so let's get really different and this didn't quite work for me um and then also i forgot to mention about donald sutherland he was in a movie called the puppet masters later on which is basically the same thing uh as the, i love that movie that's that's yeah. a that's a fun one as yeah. well so but uh yeah so, so yeah next here uh, another uh famous uh actor another uh, very familiar face uh leonard nimoy uh he plays uh dr david kibner uh he was in Obviously, lots of Star Trek, but he was in an episode of Twilight Zone from the original series, A Quality of Mercy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out, because I think it's important to kind of like put this this film where it is place in time, where in 66, 69, he was in Star Trek, Spock, big deal, blew up, right? Dude was like one like, you know, um, like Tiger Beat. And like he was he was a sex symbol. Like people forget this. And then he went on from that to go into Mission Impossible, where he played um, like a uh, like a. Um, a camouflage expert. Like he could be like a man of many faces and he kind of got bored with that. And it's like, so then he was looking to break like free of like Spock. And so he made it a point to be in this. And then the, the very next movie he made was star Trek, the motion picture. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Brought right back into the fold. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, I have, uh, next year at art Hendel, uh, he plays Jeffrey. He was in Porky's, Black Christmas, and The Brood. Yeah, and and, and more recently with like was it The Void, which I mean that's going on like seven eight years now, right? When The Void came out, um, yeah, like I saw his face, I'm like I know this guy, and, and I think it's from The Brood, which I ended up watching a couple years ago for the first time. Um, you know, there's a lot of Cronenberg I need to get to. It just like um, early Cronenberg, there are some weird shit there. The Brood's one of them, and this guy has this guy has a Cronenberg face, like meaning you could see why he was in those movies. You know, like yeah, very very yeah, um, we get yeah, no very non trusting face. Yeah, 
and he's the third actor that I've listed here that have attachments to Cronenberg too. So yeah. I find that interesting as well. But uh, yeah, so um, the next credit that I'll list, uh, and I think this is probably a, a really fun one for people that know anything about the original film, uh, Kevin McCarthy. He was he plays Running Man. Uh, should have been Lunatic uh, because he just fr- he, he uh, the audio we played at the beginning of this episode that was him yes uh, screaming at Donald Sutherland I, and, I could uh, not not use him right you get Kevin McCarthy you use Kevin McCarthy um, and since I had never seen this film before I didn't realize because I, I started watching it I you know I was watching it and I, I I guess I missed the credit at the beginning I didn't realize he was in this movie when he showed up I was like oh my gosh this is amazing because I know he's the star of the original film. But it's also Kevin McCarthy. I love him. I was super excited to see him. Yeah, he is. He's something else when he was in uh, films. I mean, like, I actually just recently watched a movie with him the other day. It was a made-for-TV movie called The Midnight Hour. Uh, And he's just, he's such a dirtbag in the movie. But it's like he knows, like, he has particular roles that he could play really well. And I love his, like, he's the dirtbag roles the best. But, yeah, he was in uh, UHF. Yes. Um, he was in the original, uh, Twilight Zone series, uh, uh, long live Walter Jameson. Yes. That's and a great he episode. Was also in yeah. the Twilight. I'm sorry. What was that? No, it, long live Walter Jameson's a great episode that there's a whole makeup effect there that they do this red green shift, like, um, in black and white, they would switch from red light to green light. And the way that, um, like they would do the makeup boy's face in red and green. So they made him look like he aged visibly because they were able to use the light changing, but since it was shot on black and white, you it's it's a really cool effect. It's a really, really neat. He's really good in that. We've talked about him on Twilight Zone, the movie, which is what you're about to bring up. I just, um, yeah, but he, he will always forever for me be RJ Fletcher from UHF. Like I, I, I love Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Great, great, uh, great work. Uh, you know, gone too soon. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know how many more of these characters uh, we want to get into because these are the major players that we have just mentioned. Probably the last one I will bring up is uh, uh, Don Siegel. He was the director of the original film. He plays a, a taxi driver in this for just a moment, but I just I love that they brought him in to do something in this film. Yeah, it's funny because like I, I didn't show you my notes. Like we're recording remotely, and also I'm going to apologize to everybody. It's been a, it's been a challenging uh, night so far. We're only thirty one minutes in this episode, but it, it's been a while. We've had some connection issues, so if it feels a little loose, loosey goosey, that's why. So my apologies. Um, it's the it's the it's the pod people invading us. They're trying to stop us from getting the truth out. But, um, yeah, yeah. Don Siegel, uh, he was the taxi driver, like you mentioned, director of the original film, director of Dirty Harry, uh, director of Escape from Alcatraz, uh, a film Telephon, which has been covered on this show before. Uh, and then he also, uh, here's your Twilight Zone connections. He was the director of the episodes Uncle Simon with the, the robot that wanted hot chocolate and uh, the self-improvement of Salvador Ross, which we covered both of those in season five of the last uh, season of the original series. Yeah, and and I think we just recently talked about his son in one of the '80s episodes. Yeah, uh, he was the he was the main too. lead in um, her Pilgrim Soul. Um, I forget yeah. the gentleman's name, but yeah, like there's all sorts of Twilight Zone connections. So yeah, that's yeah. fun. I think that was fun to bring him in as a brief like brief bit, especially him and Kevin McCarthy. And then um, I, get, I was looking at the trivia for the film. Whenever McCarthy was shooting a scene, um, there was a uh, when they're shooting San Francisco, there was a naked homeless guy nearby. 
that like was like kind of interrupting the filming. And he saw Kevin McCarthy and he's like, well, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm doing this bit part for invasion of the body snatchers, like this new version. And the naked guy was like, the original was better. And then McCarthy's like, we got our first review, which I thought that was a great. <laughs> <literature>. <laughs> it's like, you're always going to find one of those guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I like, it's like, thanks for the criticism, naked guy in the street. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, awesome. yeah. And that naked guy, he would actually go on to have a son that would be a, a homeless guy in Cleveland that would tell the owner of the Browns to draft Johnny Manziel. So there was a lot of wisdom being passed. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. Um, anyway, sorry, continue. I, I'm going on a tangent. And I, I guess, uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, the last credit I will bring up because I feel like it's somewhat important, especially considering this is primarily a Twilight Zone podcast, but we have a an appearance, a, a brief appearance of Robert Duvall oh, as yeah. a priest on yes. a swing. Yeah, so because he was in the episode uh, Miniature, season four, uh, the original series. Awesome episode. Yeah, fun episode, yeah. And I, I saw him, I'm like, holy shit, it's Robert Duvall. And I'm like, he's a creeper at the beginning. Of his, I mean, it's like, and you never see him again. And supposedly, he just kind of popped in and his payment was a cool jacket. <laughs> like I'm like, all right, you know, like whatever. Like, I, I love it. It's just like, I, I'm here now. I'm going to play a priest on a swing and you'll never see me again. Like it just, it worked, but it was a very like, cause he's so famous. You're like, Oh, that's Robert Duvall. Huh? And the Godfather. Huh? Yeah. yeah easy gig, obviously. Uh, you know, you just happen to be in town and they caught wind of it, the director and everything. It's like, all right, cool. Like here's a jacket. Come be in this movie for like a moment, like a, a, a swing. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a it, it's the first of many um, awkward pauses and gazes, you know, in the film, uh, purposely so. Um, but yeah, let's. Um, so again, I'm like normally on the show, we go through things like you know, blow by blow. This is a two-hour-long movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I don't know, even if you've not seen it, um, you know there's there's things invading and snatching bodies so i don't really that's not a spoiler everybody if it is i'm sorry um i don't know what you thought the movie was about then you know but uh i don't know really where to get into this like um uh i mean we could i guess we can kind of get through the story a little bit but if we go like blow by blow by blow this is going to take forever and i don't think you know i don't think people need us to do a two-hour recap of a two-hour movie so I i don't know where you want to jump in here well, I think uh, first and foremost, this movie starts telling you the story from the beginning, like right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. There is no, um, you know, weird um, ambiguity to it or anything like. So we get a distant planet and there's life forms on there that somehow just start floating off from their atmosphere. And we've noticed that they are making their way to Earth. So this stuff gets into our atmosphere and starts raining down this weird jelly-like substance onto our our plants, our trees, our bushes and that. And suddenly from those bushes and trees, there blooms these little flowers, these little pod blo- blossoms or whatever. And it that's when we know enough about, well, what's the place saying? What What is the catalyst mm-hmm. for all of this? It's whatever came from this other planet. That's I, all we need to know. I think that's wonderful. I think it's encapsulated yeah. very well. I was going to say, there is a certain efficiency in 70s films where it's like, we're just getting into it. You know, like there's like, before you even meet any of the characters of importance, you already know, like, it's like, it also too, like there, there is the notion of like, well, people have seen the original movie. So they already like this. You can't, 
like you can't um, unring that bell. They already know what the game is, right? So how are we going to do this different, right? And the sequence of like, I called it, I wrote my notes, invisible jellyfish from space. That's what it looked like. But them landing on the plants, whatever that effect is that showed that blob, like, um, like sprouting, like, like roots into the leaf. That is so cool looking. And I don't know how they did it. Like, and it's like today you'd be like, well, that's a CG assist. That's all practical. I have no idea how they did that shot. It was really cool. It was really cool. And it's just enough for the audience to get right into the story. Like, I mean, there's no information dump. We are seeing this in real time, uh, in a sense of what's going to happen to all these people and how the chaos will unfold. Yeah. And I um, I also like how it's like this, this lady's like, Oh, pick up all the flowers and take them to your home. And it's like, don't do it. We already know something's bad with these flowers. And that's why I don't trust them. Flowers. They might be pretty, but they, they always have, they have hidden motives. Like that's why I don't trust flowers. Well, yeah, that's why I don't trust mushrooms. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're yeah, even but, shadier figures than uh, flowers. If if this had been like these le- things look like mushrooms, then the world deserves what got coming. It's like I'm going to try to eat this. Like you know better, you know. Anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so we get that, and we get our character of uh, Elizabeth, who sees these flowers, uh, decides because uh, they look interesting and they're not quite familiar to her, that she's going to pick one and investigate it. And we find out that she is also uh, a member uh, or an employee of um, like a local, um, what is it, a uh, uh, food services yeah, or whatever. She's, like, she's invest- working, like she works for the health department. Yeah, she works for the health department. But I think. Um, there we go. Yeah, but also she was helping. Like, it was really weird. Luckily, she was like a part time like school teacher. It, it, it wasn't quite clear. But she does work under um, Don Sutherland's character because he's the one of the main guys between – he's the health inspector for the health department, which I think that's actually a really smart way to bring a character in that may not be the smartest man in the room, but his whole job is to find things that don't make sense. So I thought that was an interesting way to bring that kind of character in because he is a sci- he is science-based, right? But he's not like top scientist guy. He's – I'm going into local restaurants – and like finding health code violations. So I'm finding biological contamination. I thought that was actually a pretty smart way to bring that kind of character in. Yeah. it's good bridging because I mean, you know, the guy is obviously educated and, you know, especially through, um, Brooke and her, I'm sorry, Brooke Adams, a character of Elizabeth, um, her experiences and the confidence that he has in her as a friend and, and, uh, you know, a coworker that, there, we need to figure out what this is. So lo and behold, we have, again, things that happen to Elizabeth's character and her, her boyfriend, Jeffrey. And, you know, they, she brings this thing home. And the next morning, her, her boyfriend, Jeffrey, is just out of sorts. Very unusual, um, uh, uncharacteristic things that he's doing. Well, cause he was kind of, and, a, he was kind of a dirt bag when she came home. He, which I love that even then, like the idea of sitting there just watching the TV, he was watching the Warriors game playoff game with headphones on. And he was much more interested in the, the, the basketball game. And then like, and he then like listening to anything she had to say, you know? So we get the idea that he was just like, they, they weren't on good terms, but he was kind of just like a, a dirt bag boyfriend. Right. So the next day when he's actually all dressed in a shirt and tie and getting ready to leave in the morning, it's like, wow, you got your shit together. That's completely wrong. That's also kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that is curious. 
Uh, I mean, you know, probably just weird idiosyncrasies that, that this guy has otherwise, too, that it's like, wait, what, what's, what's all this about? Like, you're up before me? And, you know, the, the, the pod was in a very small glass on the side, on his side of the bed. And in the, the morning that she wakes up to her alarm, which she's getting up really early for work, too, because, uh, you know, uh, we get Matthew calling her kind of late at night saying, hey, I really need you to get on this this story here because it's going to be a big one. And so she's waking up at like six 30 in the morning or something like that. And Jeffrey, Jeffrey's already ready to go. Like he's suited up and he's cleaning up the glass and, from and the, taking the, the trash can out to the garbage truck, which, um, I credit to this film too. They make it a good point of constant. Well, not always putting it in your face, but the garbage trucks are always kind of a constant. And every time you see them, they're crushing like this, like gray, like frazzled matter that um i thought was uh pod remnants i didn't realize at the end of the movie what what it actually was until we see what was going on and that that in hindsight that's way more horrific what these um, garbage uh, trucks were hauling but they never shy away from showing you those garbage trucks just doing their job and it's so it's so matter of fact if you're not thinking about it you'll miss it which is like a, a fun part of this movie yeah definitely so, uh, you know, like it seems like that if it, I, I think that this, especially, um, for our audience that has never seen this film, really pay attention to this film. There's little bits in it that if you turn away, you might not appreciate the film as much as like all the work that was put into it. And this was a very quick production too. This was only, uh, two months to, to wrap up. Wow. And it was a very low budget film too. So, I mean, they put a lot of heart and soul into this film on a very shoestring budget. Well, and, and also, I, I, yeah, that, that's fair. And then, like considering the amount of like effects work in this too, like the practical effects, I mean, you know, some have aged better than others. I like, get it's, it's a product of its time, but it's like, if you can put yourself in that position of what they were doing, it works pretty well. Um, I will also point out though, that I like that, um, that this is a problem that we're, we're seeing from the perspective of Elizabeth, but the fact that like she isn't like her, her relationship with her boyfriend, this isn't like, this isn't patient zero. Like this isn't the singularity. It's like within, within a couple minutes of the movie, we're seeing other people acting strange and people like being like off put by things because this is an assault on a city. And it isn't like the situation where you could easily had like, you know, like one person, then this becomes like two and four, it's like, this is kind of already happening. Like, you know, it's like you spread seeds and you're going to plant a crop. Like you're not going to just focus on one sprouting, right? There's other things coming. And there's the bit there whenever uh, she meets um, Matthew at, um, you know, with the health department and they're talking. And did you catch that bit where as they're walking along, there's a guy with his face pressed up against like this frosted glass just looking at them, like behind them as they pass yeah. by. It's like, it's so... Again, it's so seventies off-putting. I, I, I don't, like you understand. Like I don't know how to quantify that. Where it's like this somehow this movie's tree is so straight-faced that stuff like that that it's there for you to be seen, but it isn't like your attention isn't drawn to it. Like meaning the camera isn't focused on it. You're like, wait, did I just see that? Like we have the benefit now of rewinding. Could you imagine being in theater and be like, I, did I just see a dude like looking out, like staring at them for no apparent reason? Oh, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. There's like that subconscious creep that's happening here. Yeah, that is definitely one of those instances. If you turn away for a moment, look at your phone for whatever text message that is completely pointless. People don't read it. 
watch the movie, give it your full undivided attention. This movie's incredible. It deserves it. But yeah, it's just those little things that if you if you you miss it, then it doesn't really give you the full context of like how rapid um, the effect of whatever this thing is, mm-hmm. these things that are uh, all around the city at this point. I mean, like that's the one thing that really is more terrifying than I think, you know, like the thing in a, in a sense, it's more terrifying to me at least because in the thing it's centralized. It's one unit, you know, that's in, in the, in the, you know, the, the outpost here, you have no clue how fast it's taken over the city. And yeah. there's no real context of like who has it, who's affected. I mean, because any any one of these people could be the pod person, you know. You're walking past all these individuals that you don't know, and they're probably all pod people at this point. That's fair. I, I, I think about like a movie like Slither, where it affected just one person to begin with, right? And we see like that spiral out, and it eventually affects like like affects the whole town. But it's yeah. it's use a viewer can follow uh, Michael Rooker being like meat you know whatever anyway i love that sequence in that movie um but it's like it's like you as the viewer could be like oh it's still it's still contained it's not become this big thing but like but then when it becomes a big thing you're like you can see why this could be a threat to all the rest of existence where in this case it's like it's almost in in and again a very 70s way um we're already screwed before we even learn anything like if you think about it it's already too late to do anything you know, like right. all we can do is stand back and put the pieces together, but it's like, you know, you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's like, what's this puzzle say? It says we're, we're doomed. Oh, okay, great. I'm glad we finished the puzzle. At least we know now, you know, like, <laughs> like this movie, there's, it doesn't, if, if you're paying attention, it, there's no hope you we're already done. And that's a very fatalistic view that I think is also kind of indicative of this kind of like time frame of cinema, which I'm here for. I mean, I'm glad that these messages have like, I'm glad that they've aged poorly. We never have to deal with this in our waking days now, you know, ever. No, of course not. (laughs) But yeah, there's just bits and pieces of this. Like it's, I think of like the exorcist when we got the flash frames of uh, Pazuzu, right. Or the, the, whatever, like there's these bits here that it's like, these are these chances being taken. And it's like, and they were assuming that the audience was smart enough to know what was going on, or at least, they weren't being spoon fed. So I do respect that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, more of the, uh, story here is that, uh, we get, uh, we get Elizabeth that is, you know, confided in, into Matthew that she, she thinks something's wrong with Jeffrey and she doesn't know really what to do about it. So Matthew says, all right, well, you're going to talk to my buddy. He is an author. He, he can help you with this. So they go to see Leonard Nimoy's character of uh, Dr. David uh, Kibner. And he's at a book signing. And that's when we also meet, um, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character of Jack. And Jack is of course, Jeff Goldblum weird. (laughs) So it's like, and and he's he's just, he's wonderful in this. It just chews up the scenery so much. I just, I was watching this earlier today and I'm like, Jeff Goldblum is the man. And I don't know, I don't know a single role that I've ever seen him in that I didn't just think that he was, he, he recreated himself, but somehow still stayed the same person. I, yeah. I wrote, I wrote my notes here. I was like, Seth Brundle's a dick. Like this feels like, uh, him, like he just, every, can I also point out that everybody in this movie, it just seems like angry. 
Like, you know, like, which I get I me mean, aside from like, you know, uh, Sutherland's character and, um, um, shoot, uh, her name. I just, the, the, the character's name, um, Brooke Adams, yeah, of, uh, yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, they don't like, she seems panicked. Right. But everybody else seems so angry all the time. And I get it. It's that we're supposed to see like this emotion or, or angry or just, just mean. Right. And then like, um, and Jeff Goldblum's character is like, it's just, he's just, he's just pissed. And then like, there's the whole bit where, um, we get, uh, Donald Sutherland trying to like call the, the cops about, cause there was like a hit and run, right? Like we, you know, whatever with, with Kevin McCarthy. And as he's on the phone with the cops, Jeff Goldblum's just like talking and talking and talking. It's like, you see, he's on the phone, like calm down, man, you know? And how, I guess he's a poet. We, is that is that make like I think he's a poet, right? He's not like a yeah a, yeah, and so he's pissed that um that uh you know um Kibner is like this like pop psychologist. That's the best way I can put it. He is he is the doctor Phil of its time, right? Like I got these all these ideas, you know. But even like it's just but it's just that whole sequence. It's like everybody's just like the seventies are just full of angry people. Um, and like, and Goldblum just takes that and just turns it up to like 14, he turns the knob, it tears it off, you know, like, like, you know, they say in like the radio stations, like turn, turn the knob and rip it off. That's Jeff Goldblum in this movie the entire time. Yeah. It, it, it works for me. I don't know if it necessarily works for the plot line of the movie, but he questions everything. He is definitely the guy that you would hear about, uh, nowadays it would be on coast to coast. Um, <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he is just. Yeah, he doesn't trust the cops. He's telling he's telling Matthew to get off the phone. Don't tell him your name. All this jazz, and um, and, and <laughs> you know, Doctor uh, Kidner uh, must know who uh, Jack is because he like sends him off. He's like, oh, go ahead and talk to this lady in red. She really want to talk to you about your books or whatever, just so he could distract him. And then they they go outside to talk about what has been going on with Jeffrey. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth can't seem to make any, uh, you know, make Gibner understand or really get the gravity of the situation. It's like, this is a dude that I share the house with. I'm with him constantly. You don't know, like, how much he's changed in such a short, short period of time. And, uh, you know, can't convince him. And this is this kind of this kind of is a theme for a little bit here where, um, you know, Elizabeth can't seem to find anybody else that understands her. And even Matthew at the beginning really doesn't believe her either. Well, he, I mean, he wants, I mean, he how, wants how to can, believe her. How can you convince somebody? Yeah, he, <laughs> he wants to believe her. And he feels like, like he's like, he, he understands there's something amiss, but he isn't like, he's, he thinks it's something else. I mean, it's not that he isn't there for her. Cause I mean, clearly you get the idea that these two have the hots for each other, you know, uh, from the jump, right. There's, there is that kind of like the way they talk to each other. Like, you know, something's going on there or something could be going on there. And that's, that's fine. But when he's talking with Kibner, Kibner has this whole diatribe about how now that like basically like since like the, you know, um, the sexual revolution and how people like can just get divorced when they want like the destruction of like, you know, the family and everything. It's just like I just he is, you know. <laughs> He, he is the coming age of the eighties about like, Oh, family values. He's like, try to talk to her about like, you know, is it because, or is it because something's changing with him or it's because you're uncomfortable in a relationship? Like, like I wrote my notes here. It's now invasion of the mansplainers. That's what it felt like with Kibner. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, I, I like Leonard Nimoy in this role. I just, cause it's also the way his, his line delivery. And he's obviously he's not Spock, but he has a way of saying things that, 
he's perfectly fit for this character that you don't necessarily think he's a bad guy, but he is so full of himself that he thinks he has the answers for everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's the perfect uh, position for him to be in because he can walk away. No problem. And uh, you know, you know, Elizabeth is left with only this knowledge that supposedly this guy is the best suited to put her back on the, the right, yeah, right we, even, we even had a Kibner like talking to the other woman and the, by the way, I like this whole thing. It's like supposed to be this party for his book and it's like this big wine party at a bookstore and he's like psychoanalyzing people there on the spot. I'm like, man, it was a weird time then, you know, like I'm like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's either three seconds away from being an orgy or like, you know, I don't know. It was like, there's this weird thing going on there. I'm just like, all right, it's going to become a key party here within minutes. Or you're just going to psychoanalyze everybody and tell all the women they're wrong. It could go either. It was a 50, 50 chance there. We don't know, you know, <laughs> but it got really, really weird. Um, but yeah, I just, but like, I don't know. It's just the, like, again, the seventies movies where it's like, this is so straight faced. And it's like everything that's going on here is so ridiculous. It's fun, but it's like, it's like peeking it into like a completely different world. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, we kind of part ways with Matthew and Elizabeth for a second to kind of show a little bit more of what's going on with Jack and his wife. Now, Jack's wife, Nancy, runs uh, a, like a kind of a bathhouse uh, sauna place, you know, like where you could do, do mud baths and that. Not like a traditional bathhouse, as maybe some people may know it today, but um, this is a place where you could, again, do mud baths and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, she is running this facility and Jack walks in. He looks, he looks mentally just like beat down. Um, not like, not, uh, valued. And mm -hmm. <laughs> she, I love the scene where she's just like, so how was the, the book party or whatever book release party? And he just looks down at the book and just throws yeah. it at the floor. <laughs> I like how it's she's like, just like, Oh, okay. Not good. Huh? Here you go. Go, um, go take a mud bath. Um, which, can you imagine like how bad that place smelled? Like I just, it is, I don't know, man. Like even then it looked gross. And then, then like now that we've lived through like, you know, two years plus of a pandemic where we're supposed to like, you know, like, I don't know, social distance and like not spit in each other's mouths or whatever. This whole place has looked gross to me, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, it just it <laughs> really did. It, it actually, it was very reminiscent to me at least of the um the shower area in uh, my bloody valentine <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> at least at least there i could i could be like oh these are just a bunch of idiot coal miners that you know like not idiots not the right word they're hard-working dudes it's like they're like i don't care i'm just gonna scrub all this coal dust off of me that makes more sense than i'm gonna actively go to a room full of mud and lie in it and read a book and get mud all over the book and then mud in my beard and just, ugh, I don't just, ugh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't like, it, I mean, when my socks get wet, I want to kill myself, you know, like, I don't know about, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe there are people out there that think a, a good mud bath is a way to relax, but I just, I, that wasn't for me, me thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, that's dirty. Like so. I have <laughs> slipped and fallen in mud and it's not been an enjoyable experience. This is not how I relax. I, a sauna, I could understand, right? Like an actual bathhouse. Like I get, the, I get the idea behind it, but like a mud bath, I just, I don't know, man. Like I just, nope, do not want, you know? So 
Just that's like, oh, Paul, this whole world, there's always pod people and that's gross. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see the mud baths though? You know, like just, yeah. Well, because of that, that one dude situation in there, I'm actually afraid to go into a mud bath because I don't know if I'd be able to get out. Yeah. I just be like, oh, I guess I'm going to get, this is where I die now. This is what's happening. <laughs> This mud bath is now like you just turn off the heat and it's become my grave. Thank you. you know, I like, just become, <laughs> I just sit here and become clay face. Yeah, that's know? it. That's it. I, I am become mud. Uh, you know? <laughs> like, so, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just, I had to admit that was just, it was all sorts of gross to me. I normally that kind of stuff doesn't bother me, but that is like, ugh. anyway, continue, please. So there's some weird stuff that happens in there. It's kind of a longer scene. Um, to just kind of get to the meat of it. Eventually, uh, Nancy finds a, a body that she thought was her uh, her husband Jack uh, underneath a, a sheet, and it's this weird form with like I don't know like a mucus on top of it and this fuzz all over it, yeah. hair of some sort. It's very it's humanistic, um, but it's it's not quite there. You know, it's it's very it's off putting. So, it's, it's like if somebody looked on Pinterest how to make a human and then they just screwed up making it. Like it's like a, it's a Pinterest yeah. fail of a person. Um, and also got to mention one of the people when they're exiting the bath, is she, you hear in the background, be like, well, thank you for bringing in that flower. And that was interesting. So, you know, something's amiss. But yeah, when she sees this thing um, um, that, you know, whatever it is. Uh, that's whenever it was Jeff Goldblum's character who I think he was in like a sauna or something like a little like off area. He comes out, yeah, he right? was in like a steam room. Yeah. And he comes out with like a bloody nose and he's like freaking out. And then like, yeah, like they look down and it's like, it looks like him. And that's, that's very upsetting. Yeah. So, um, we get them, uh, given a call to, uh, Matthew and telling him to come on over and check this thing out. And upon further investigation of this body, they realized that it's, it's, it, even though it looks very strange, it's not quite finished from what they determine. There isn't, um, some like, characteristics that maybe you might see on regular people, scars, uh, there is, uh, no fingerprints. Uh, it's just very, it, like the way they say it, it's, it's like, it's, it's like, it's not finished. Yeah, and also like whenever Goldblum was reaching out to it, um, the the wisps reached out to him, and I wrote on my notes here invasion of the corn silk people because it looked like corn silk. Like every time you go to shuck a ear of corn, that's all the hairs on. It was just, this is a corn person. It's not a pod person. It's a it's a cob person. Invasion of the cob people. That's what this is. <laughs> you know, like it's like you feel like you want to take like a toothbrush and just get the hair off and like get the silk off of here. I don't like it. Anyway, it was like reaching out to him, and it was like that was creepy. And there, so one of the things in this though, that I, I have some questions about how this process works. Cause clearly it's duplicating him. Like we know that, but there's a bit where he's like, I'm going to go lay down. I'm tired. And when he goes to close his eyes, the, the doubles eyes open up. And then whenever his wife sees the double with its eyes open, she screams and it closes its eyes. And then he wakes up. Um, it was never quite clear why the connection of sleep would complete the process. Yeah, it, did, it wasn't explained. And I don't know, know if it necessarily needs to be at this point. I mean, it's just the hand wave. Like, this is the way things work. Um, and, 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 like, it seemed like at one point they're trying to suggest that it was, like, um, through contact that the final uh, transformation happens. But then there was 
uh, some of the pod people that were pretty far away from the people that yeah. were going through the transition. Well, even, even Jeff so. Goldblum's pod person escaped and the transformation wasn't technically like what happened? Like, I don't know. That felt weird to me because when they bring in um, uh, Kibner to also check out what's going on, the body's gone. Like the double's gone and he doesn't believe them and it gets weird. Right. And it's like, so the, that's my big nitpick with this film is that like, I understand there's going to be things that are not knowable because I mean, how do you, like, how does, how does a, um, a big, you know, jalapeno popper make a person, you know, like I, whatever I get it, you know, like maybe, th- maybe that's what queso is. I don't know. Maybe it's this pod people stuff. I don't know. But, um, you know, that, that whatever I can hand wave that away. Cause it's science fiction stuff, but the logic of like, if you're going to show me how this thing works, but it's, it's, it's not hard and fast, then I have a hard time with that. And that's understandable. I mean, there was definitely some things that were left to just like, well, that's the way this, uh, this, you know, movie works and you're going to have to just, again, hand wave it and see, you know, enjoy the ride while you can. But, you know, and, and I don't know, it's like, it's, it's just nitpicking that you can do to maybe tear this movie apart, but I don't necessarily have to, I think it's, it's interesting enough, but, um, but yeah, so we, we, we lose the body. That's all going on. And we continue on with uh, Elizabeth and her situation, and Jeffrey's getting even more unusual. And Elizabeth has been following him around. He apparently is, keeps on meeting with people that he typically wouldn't interact with. And when they do interact, there's like no communication whatsoever. They are like quietly just standing around each other and that. So whatever this is really trying to imply is that these things know each other and they're communicating through some weird hive mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, so, it kind of is and kind of isn't right. Cause we, it also shows that they kind of still work independently of each other. Like they, they, they have an alignment, but they can still be like slightly independent. That's also not quite clear either. Right. Like it gets, I don't know. It's just like, we all agree except for like 1% of us or 1% of like, cause like later on, I don't know. It, it's the, the rules kind of bend a little bit too with how, cause if it's a hive mind and you are able to walk around with emotion on your face, then they just accept you. You would think they would know if you're an other or not. Right. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the, the non-emotion thing definitely comes into play later within this story. Sorry, you were making but, um, a point. Yeah. I'm just talking. These are like, I understand looking at this from eyes, like, you know, previous, and we have had, um, this explored in other ways. So there's been more, more people brought to the table writing about this type of idea. So at the time, maybe when I, if I saw this in the theater, I me, mean, I was only two months old, but I'm saying if you were a viewer, like my mom bringing, like I brought my own pot. It's this, this potato person. I'm bringing him into the theater. Um, no, um, if I, if you were a viewer coming in at this time, like maybe the, the way it's treated. So matter of fact, it might kind of shock you out of your shoes. So you don't think too much about those details, but that's the stuff that sticks in my head. So that, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, yeah, that's, that's completely valid. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Elizabeth, uh, contacts, uh, Matthew, and there was definitely a, a, a moment where you think maybe Elizabeth has gone a little wacky. Um, cause when Matthew looks at her, he's like, Hey, are, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you? And then she breaks down and that's when she unloads all the, uh, you know, all the information about what she's been doing and watching Jeffrey and really trying to, to 
decipher what he's been doing and why he's doing it. But she, she honestly has come to the point now where she's like, this isn't my boyfriend. I don't know who the hell mm-hmm. this dude is and why he's doing it now. And whatever it is, it's being, it's calculated. And there is more activity happening within these few days. I mean, cause if you're talking about like the, the timeline here, we're only in like two days in or something. Yeah. I mean, and also we find out, I think he's a dentist, right? And it's like, Oh, wait. Yeah. it's like, Oh, I mean, so when it gets to him being like responsible or going into work with like a certain time, like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense, but it's like the way he's kind of at home. It's like, all right, you wouldn't know he's a dentist, but like, I like how everyone's like, like, uh, was it, um, Michael was saying like, oh, maybe he just has like clients. It's like, yeah, you know, cause dentists go and meet people in like abandoned buildings and pass around like gar- uh, grocery bags full of the questionable lumpy things. That's what dentists do. I think that's what they do. You know, like, cause she's been, she follows him and follows his like routine of him just going around. And it's like, it's like, um. I it's just I don't know it's just funny it'd be like hey hey Terry you just want to meet in this back alley what I got I got um got this bag full of watermelons for you don't tell anybody like Psh. okay and he's like there'd be so many questions about what was going on yeah definitely <laughs> um, <laughs> just enough that you're going like yeah something's not right uh, something smells <laughs> you know but uh, yeah we keep on yeah. seeing these garbage trucks too like that's a, like you were saying earlier. Like that's definitely something that you got to stay a little bit more uh, in tuned with with this movie is the garbage cans are or garbage trucks are a constant and yeah. they're always filled with this like weird dusty like cobweb looking shit and like and that's it like and you know silent people loading up them and um and it's, it, I, I like that it. also it's like since it's municipal work and it's garbage trucks and like. You know, like you, it's almost like they're loud and obnoxious and they do a job nobody else wants to to do, but somehow your brain sublim like, like it eliminates it. Right. Like for me, garbage days once a week and I hear them for like three seconds and then they take all my, my questionable, um, you know, hostess field cake, uh, boxes, uh, away. And I don't think about it, you know, like who actively focuses on, uh, garbage trucks. Cause no one wants to think about it. Cause it's a, it's a dirty job. Yeah, and it, it is the, it's just part of the constant the constant flow of life. I mean, this is in San Francisco that all of this um, all these uh, things are happening, and so it's, it's like, oh, okay, so the major city garbage trucks are going to probably be going like seven days a week almost. Yeah, but um, yeah, so uh, you know they're trying to get more information about this, and uh, you know they they kind of all gather together to kind of put this in a fast forward uh, position here. Um, they get a little bit more information from each other and you know, say, hey, something's not right. All right. Well, you know, go back to your place tonight and, uh, you know, try to sleep it off or whatever. And Elizabeth at her place, um, she falls into a deeper sleep and she gets a call from Matthew. And when we look over at um, Elizabeth, we see this weird flaky skin happening, like kind of appearing on her face. And we see Jeffrey beside her take the phone and hang up the phone, but then leave off, leave the, the headset off the cradle. So whatever he's doing now, it's he's doing it purposely. He, yeah. he wants whatever's happening to her, this change to happen. And that's when we notice that there is, you know, thing that we would notice in the film, too, that is very unusual to me. But I, maybe, you know, she really loves plants. 
she has like an atrium type thing within her bedroom. No, because she established I, earlier in the movie when she first brought the the one home, she was like going through her books and explaining like what this thing is because it shouldn't exist because it looks like it's um like a crossbreed. And she like so she actually has this big grounding in like um horticulture. Like it's 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 it said real fast at the beginning of the movie, but it kind of explains why she would have that. Yeah, so within this little atrium type thing, um, it's pretty big. I mean, like you know, if I had to guess, maybe like six by six or something like that in her bedroom, and uh, there is one of those those beings uh, growing. Like that's the best way to describe it. It's growing within this little atrium, and it's starting to take on characteristics of Elizabeth. It's starting to look like a woman, and that, and then. By the time that Matthew uh, gets um, pretty much, he gets frank, uh, frantic and wants to go see what happened to Elizabeth. Now he's he's concerned. So he goes over to her place, sneaks in. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess even though you're a pod person, you're still interested in watching the ball game. No, no, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's not watching the ball game. He has his headphones on. He's watching. I found this out in the trivia of the channel because if you look at it, it's showing like different clocks and things. At the time, it was just a channel that would show different. Um, like uh, readouts and tools regarding the weather. Like, so he was just like doing, he was, he was like, I'm being me. I'm watching the TV. And all he's doing is it's basically the equivalent of just watching the weather channel with your headphones on. It was weird. Yeah. So his interest in basketball disappeared, but he wanted to know about the weather. Cause I mean, I guess if you're, if you're born out of a plant, you want to know if there's going to be, you know, some rain coming soon or something. But I love, uh, how, uh, Donald Sutherland breaks in that he goes upstairs, which by the way, I like, you know, with the wooden staircase, that is the quietest wooden staircase I've ever seen in anything. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Cause my wife mentioned that too. She was like, none of those stairs Creek. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be a ninja like that in this no, house. <laughs> like, even if you try to walk on like the corners, like on like you know near the edges of the stairs, um, like like you know you've been in my house. Like, I have a staircase. Like, there, no matter like I walk pretty lightly. Like for you know for my my size and my frame, uh, to the point to where like uh, my wife has multiple times said I didn't know you were here. But if I have to use the stairs, I think my neighborhood knows that I'm using the stairs. Right. So for, for Donald Sutherland to take, take her and carry her body out, you know? So the only way I could figure it is that if I wish they would have shown the pod guy putting his headphones back on. Cause I think that's the only way you get out of the house without him noticing what was going on in that staircase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so he, uh, he basically, uh, kidnaps, uh, Elizabeth here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's still, kind of sleeping i guess um she's really zogged out like whatever was going on with her it's basically incapacitated her so he sneaks out of the house and you know tries to get her yeah like like get information like what the hell is going on what was going on you know did you see that thing that was in there it looked like you yeah, and eventually we get like him calling the cops and be like, "Oh, there's there's a body here," and it's like, "Oh, did the cops show up?" It's like, "There's no body here," and then it's like, "So what happened?" He's like, "Well, I came in here and there's a woman asleep, but I took her because there's a body here." So it's like, "Oh, so you kidnapped her?" He's like, "Well, yeah, I did." <laughs> like that whole sequence is weird, where it's like, "Yeah, I openly broke into this house and t- took a woman uh, without her husband's knowledge." We're good, right? Arrest this guy because he's a weirdo. You know, it gets weird. 
Yeah. And that, that's a pretty cool sequence and uh, and how they do uh, a handheld. And I guess, you know, like because of uh, production costs and all that, they were really needed to tighten up that scene. And it just the the uh, the film guy or uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the um, oh, my God, cinematographer or what the editor? What? Cinem- yeah, yeah, the cinematographer just was like, just give me a handheld. I can do this. And it mm-hmm. was actually a pretty tense moment too. And yeah, I think the, the way it's shot, it builds to that intensity. And, and also the, thank you for bringing it up. Cause I, I meant to mention that there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool um, tilted, like Dutch angle stuff going on in this film. Uh, they also, um, the director and the cinematographer, um, they wanted this to have more of a noir type of vibe to it. Uh, so they, they made it a point. Um, I have um, the cinematographer's name is Michael Chapman. Uh, he actually did uh, cinematography for The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford film, Scrooge, which I know you love, uh, Taxi Driver, and then also a Sutherland connection, The Lost Boys, with the son of, you know, uh, Donald in that. So, like, they made it a point to have, like, the color palette was a little more, like, like flat and the big creeping shadows and the way the camera was tilted. Like, you talk about this being shot on a budget, and I agree with that, but I'm like, this also speaks to, regardless of how much money you have to spend, forethought goes a long way in presentation. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, if you, if you think that you can save money and still make it look good, then give it a shot. Because I, again, this, these sequences and how they had to cut the budget a little bit still work, work wonderfully mm-hmm. for the rest of this film. I mean, it's not like you're taken out of it because, well, now here's this shitty scene because they just happen to have to save some money. It actually works really, really well. Yeah, because you're talking about creating tension, and that's with blocking um, and and shooting and um, everybody being on the same page. Like you could have easily uh, shot that with like cut to a head, cut to a head, cut to a head, you know. And that's you know that's like like a TV like style edit. But you're right, like keeping it like up close and kind of almost being like like a close talker to everybody as it's going on, as you being the viewer, it is very upsetting. And again. Credit to the film. Like, you know, like they made it work because that's what they had and people thought it through. Right. So then we come to the conclusion that, um, yeah, Elizabeth is not coming back home tonight. (laughs) Uh, Matthew is going to stay with her um, and he's going to come by and get some of her clothes later. And there really is no, um, I guess, uh, back, uh, you know, back talk from Jeffrey. Jeffrey's just like, all righty then. There it is. Yeah. And, it's like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, you could get your wife back and he's like, I don't know, whatever. And then we find out like, you know, through like suspicious, like nods and stuff after everybody leaves and like the facade is falling that the police are in on this. And so that's kind of where we now know the power structures are, are going to be against Michael. Right. And like the big thing is him trying to like, we like, I'm, I'm not sure where this is at in the movie. I know it's the second half of him, like calling repeatedly to all these different government agencies and basically just giving the runaround or not contacted at all. Cause we, we now know, and there, there's a very claustrophobic bit of him in these different pay, like pay phones, like phone booths where all these people are surrounding him, like as they're walking in through the street and you don't know who's who it's, it's, it's very claustrophobic, but you, you know, at this point that like, this is much bigger than he could have imagined. And it's a dawning on all of them. Right. And it's through those phone calls too, that he, like, there is a, we're starting to have a lapse in communication because, you know, within those first couple of phone calls that he makes earlier in the film, he's actually getting some kind of traction, something. And then later we get, you know, dial tones that like that, that 
you know, suddenly uh, are gone, uh, people hanging up on him, people that know his name, but he had never given his name. That is freaky. That would, that would like at that point in time, I mean, nowadays in a day and age we live in, uh, you can pretty much get somebody's information easily. But back then, like to not have given somebody your, uh, your name in it. And they're like, yeah, okay, Terry, we'll be right with you. It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that day and age of like calling operators and connecting phone lines. It's like, I didn't say who I was. Well, that's okay, sir. Like, ugh. <laughs> like, yeah, that is very upsetting. Yeah. So we get, um, you know, Matthew and Elizabeth going back, I believe, to Jack and Nancy's place. And I, they I think, I, I, actually, hunker down. I think it's actually Matthew's place. Well, actually, they eventually end up, right? Because um, well, at one point, no, you're right. It's it's their place because they eventually end up in Matthew's place, whatever. But that's when they start to put together the flower thing, right? That's the whole thing there. Right. And they start to kind of figure out like, oh, we've seen these weird flowers all over the place. And and Veronica Cartwright's character, to her credit, she's like, why do we always assume metal ships are coming, right? Like, why do we assume that the invasion is going to be like broadcast and it's going to be UFOs? Why can't it just be like I the the, the sequence works again? I, this is one of those movies that I think, man, if you did like another pass on the script, I think you would have like a stone cold classic here. And, and I know you love this movie and I like it a great deal watching it, but there's these bits where there's these like connections and logic that I understand they serve the story, but they're served up too quickly without any, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like, okay, that makes sense moving forward. Cause we as an audience already know the plants are the bad thing. Like, cause we know that from the very beginning of the film, but the way the characters put it together, like it works, but it's just, I wish there, I wish the script would have been a little tighter about some of this. And that's fine. Um, I do think that it's interesting too, even in this sequence here that, uh, you're, you're talking about the flower in that, that, uh, Jack is like smelling the flower in that and really yeah. focused on the flower. And he's like, wow, this smells like incredible. Uh, and but they're trying to tell him, like, put the flower down, dude. Like, would you not? <laughs> would you not right now? Seriously? Like, do you understand what's going on right now? You saw the weird thing on the table. Yeah, like, you, you <laughs> saw you as a corn silk person, right? You remember that? No? Okay. Like, <laughs> it's like, like, I, remember, just, I like the yeah. idea that possibly this is something that is a little bit more connected to the senses. Yeah. Possibly. It, you're like, oh, you know obviously us being still animals and uh, fascinated by everything around us, you know, shiny things and such. When we see something pretty, we're, we're drawn to it. When we see, when we smell something that smells nice, we're drawn to it. And that is still an animalistic uh, character about us. Mm -hmm. And I think that is probably one of the things that they were alluding to because he is very focused on the smell of this thing. And it's like, you're just waiting for it just to, you know, do its thing. You know, if you don't have somebody there to steer you in the right direction. Yeah. It's almost like a carbon monoxide poisoning thing of like, Oh, I'm just going to go to sleep. And I, you know, that's all I want to do is just like, like you're lulled into this false sense of security type of thing. Right. And that's, and like, we get that, right. Cause especially when we know these things strike at you when you do fall asleep and, and even with him having empirical evidence in front of his face that he saw a him with this, no, like, cause he had a nosebleed and that thing got a nosebleed and it looked like him. And it's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to give this flower another chance. It's like, don't do that. Like you just saw what happened. You know, it's like, it's like, you know what? I'm allergic to shrimp, but maybe not this shrimp. Like, God damn it. You almost died the last time. Don't eat it. Right. Right. 
But um, yeah, so fast forward just a tad here. Um, we get uh, Matthew. He falls asleep outside. And he's exhausted. Yeah, it's, it's, it's at his and, apartment because that's the whole thing. They have Kibner there. And there's a whole thing, too, where Leonard Nimoy is like, you know, I want to believe you guys, but I have this really cool glove on my hand that looks like I'm a falconer or something. I don't know. It's, we're not going to talk about that. Whatever that weird glove I have on. It looks like he's going to go do some archery, but never talks about it. Um, but then he's like, he like supposedly he's there overnight questioning them over and over again. He's like, I don't know. This is a little crazy. He goes outside and talks to Michael. He's like, I believe you. I'm like, bullshit, you know? But yeah, so everybody's in Michael's apartment. Um, and then it's like this false sense of like, we can rest. Right. And that's when Michael's out on, on his, um, his, his, uh, uh, landing, like his, his, like his, you know, patio, whatever. Right. Looking across at the city. And that's when we get like this really prolonged sequence. I know it's what you're talking about. I'm sorry. I took that away from you of, um, of the pods actually doing their thing. And we actually see the pod in action, which is like the money shot of this movie. Yeah. And it's, it's gross and it's, uh, it's, it's disturbing. I mean, we get these things basically being birthed out of these flowers slash pod things. And they look like just big, big bean stocks or something like our big bean pods, you know, Mm -hmm. and they birth these weird mucus covered, almost like, uh, fetuses. And those, those fetuses slowly start generating, um, more humanistic characters and it, you know through this time lapse in a sense we get hair mustache <laughs> you know all that and it starts to look like uh it starts to look like matthew yeah i like one well one it's very off-putting that when these things burst open and like the blossom looks like the skin flaps that's gross but also it's like i've copied you genetically including your uh, clean cut mustache like you know it's like got to get that mustache perfect Got to get it to match up. Like, yeah, yeah it's and like, why would it think to do all that? Throughout, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying like th- all throughout this, we hear like, I whoever the guy, I, I forget who the gentleman was that did the, like all the sound mm-hmm. for this film. He, he did an incredible job. I think where it just make it taking a combination of disgusting and just very, uh, ordinary sounds and just combining them all together to make, really is the underlying soundtrack to this because like this whole pod birth scene it sounds gross it really does does. sound gross and you hear heartbeats which believe it or not people this was a his uh child's sound uh like the the director right his wife was pregnant yeah yeah they use the the sonic like um the sonogram whatever they actually took like you know yeah, that's like, that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's a fun little bit of trivia. Um, the, the person who did like, I don't know who, who did the sound design, but I know the person who did the scoring, this was his only film score and he was, um, a jazz artist and it's like, it kind of, it, it all kind of works. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sure I'd like it, but the music in this works really well, but that sequence, like for as much as I feel like there's bits of this movie that could have been tightened up and like a little bit more time given to things, I was surprised at how long the sequence was. And I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad thing. I think it was very effective, right? Cause you're, you keep waiting. You're like, Oh my gosh, someone's got to wake up. Right. And it's like, you see Donald Sutherland's character just like, you know, passed out. Cause he's exhausted. Why wouldn't he be? 
and you got the little corn silk wisps attaching itself to him and you know his um you know he's being 3d printed in front of him off to his right and but then also like the other pods are opening and they're just becoming the people in the apartment which like i didn't realize that they're bluetooth enabled for their copying process i didn't understand that um they're they're like pairing pairing copying in, in process you know but yeah that whole thing is like oh no they're all asleep, especially, um, um, what was it? Uh, Elizabeth, right. Cause she had been drugged by her husband initially, right. Because she was supposedly supposed to be like asleep the entire time for her copying. So that's also why she's non-responsive mainly because she, well, no, I, I take that back. I'm sorry. Kibner gave her a sedative to have her sleep. So she right. was really non-responsive. And then we know within, we know pretty quickly after he leaves that he gets uh, in a car with like all the other pod guys. He's like, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> Evil Spock. So yeah, like you just wonder like when the other shoes going to drop in the sequence. And it's, it's very, um, because it's slow and it's very much like, like I keep using the terms matter of fact, it really twists you up inside watching like, like how is this going to end? Like, cause, cause nobody can respond to this. Everybody's asleep. And there's nothing pointing to anybody waking up. Yeah. And then, so then we get, um, I mean, like it, this thing seems like it's almost done. Like you're about to see the, the Turkey thermometer thing pop on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, yeah, the, the, the money pit, perfect- the money pit shot. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. The Turkey thermometer. Yeah. Like done. <laughs> I love yeah. it. And yeah. it's going to take over, um, as the new Matthew. And all of a sudden we hear uh, Nancy freaking the F out, like, wake up, wake up. They're all around you. They're, 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 they're growing. And um, finally, you know, like Matthew wakes up and it's like he sees this horrifying thing next to him. Like, oh, oh, shit, we got to we got to get going here. We got to beat feet and <laughs> get the hell away from these things. So he wakes, he goes and wakes up the other two and they try to call the police and that. And that's when you know, they find out that they're coming to get them. Yeah. They, they look out the window, the town, like even the people, not the town, but the people in the city are all like combining their efforts together with the police now. And they're running towards their house and they're barricading the street. Yeah. And then that's when we get, um, we get, uh, uh, Sutherland's character grabbing like a garden hoe, which I don't know if, like if I had an apartment in San Francisco, I don't know if I'd have that. I mean, cool credit. I guess he had a little rooftop garden. I don't know. He, he's also like, you know, a health inspector and he, we determined early on, he's a chef, like a good cook. So maybe he has like a little garden there, like whatever, but he takes a hoe and starts like, like, like being the hell out of all these pods. Right. And the people, it just how easy they tear apart because they're not formed is gross. And I loved it. I loved every minute of him swinging at all of them. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, it's very disgusting, very bloody. And it is probably, the most gruesome thing within this, within this entire film. So if there is people out there that really can't handle gore, this is probably the goriest scene within yeah. the entire yeah, film. Cause you get, you get pod person Sutherland just getting a hoe to the head, you know, and that's it. He's like, it, that's, he, it just done, just done. There's no coming back from that, you know, like, uh, but yeah, that was great. And then they, like, that's when they start to try to escape and they get, they get away. But that's when we start to see how, how the city has been taken over. Right. We get this whole, like, um, like, like clockwork, uh, precision of everybody coming in and out, excuse me, and grabbing pods. And that's, that's right. Like, cause he see this happening, right. Of uh, people grabbing pods and walking away and by pods. I mean, they're these large, like two hands, you gotta use two hands for this. And I use the term jalapeno popper. Like 
This looks like um, the two things I think of is like whenever people talk about how much they love pickles, I'm like, you can't love pickles that much. And I feel like that's part of this. I feel like everyone's like, we're going to bring pickles to you. I'm like, calm down with the pickles. Or maybe, Terry, something you can relate to, how people try to shove pumpkin spice into everything. Like if this was changed to pumpkin <laughs> spice, um, th- this is what pumpkin spice season feels like to me sometimes. You know, like everybody's lined up. It's like, get your pumpkin spice. And everybody goes into the Starbucks, grabs it and comes out and they're going to set the pumpkin spice near somebody while they sleep. And then they'll become like a basic bitch or something. Like I get it, you know, like it's, you know, say what you want. I'm sorry. That, that's the, how I felt about the sequence. Yeah. Well, I have taken the pill on both of those. I love pickles and I love pumpkin spice. <laughs> like I've come around pickles a little bit, but like there's people, it's like, I could have pickle everything. I'm like, just no, I'm good. I, I think I'm good. I don't need pickles for everything. So I, I guess, I guess I'm fighting the system still, Terry. So I, I, I guess we're, I guess we're at odds. When you wake up tomorrow, you will finally be part of our team too. So don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, there is a, there, there basically is like an assembly line now. Uh, there, it, at one point they are over at like a, a warehouse or something like that. And they're, they're just, they're packing them up. They're shipping them <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. Put yeah. them in trucks. Maybe that's what, uh, was it a uh, hello fresh? Maybe that's what that is now where you just open a box. You're like, Oh honey, we got a pod. Cool. Let's put it underneath. It's fine. Or blue apron or whatever. You know, like, Oh, I guess we're pod people now. Well, you know, it was cheaper than, uh, you know, buying takeout. Um, no, so that we get that, but then also there's the whole thing too, like where eventually we get like the split up of the four of them where um, Jeff Goldblum and Veronica Cartwright take off, right? Because they they know like, like Jeff Goldblum's character, he actually like does the heroic thing of like, I'm going to buy you time, but then his wife chases after him. So then this is left with uh, Don Sutherland and um, um, well, we get uh, Michael and Elizabeth, right? Uh, so uh, Matthew, Matthew, yeah, Matt, sorry, Matthew, sorry. Uh, and like, so, um, so then they're trying to like figure out what's going on. So they get back to the health department and I gotta tell you, there's a bit where it's like, they go, they find somebody's, um, like prescription medication and, and she hands him a, like a pill and he's like, what's this? He's like, it's, you know, it's an amphetamine. He's like, well, it's like, it's speed. It's like, well, how many does this guy take? He's like one. He's like, take five. I'm like, or die. Oh my gosh. Like I understand you need to stay awake. I mean, I understand like we're a nightmare on Elm street scenario here. I get it. You're going to just pop five speed after being like, you know, like running on empty for a few days. If the pot people don't get you, your heart's going to die. Like you're just going to explode. Like that was just, it was one of my, like one of my uh, moments of this movie where I laughed. I know it wasn't supposed to be a joke, but I laughed at that. That was crazy. Yeah, I mean, and I, at this point now, it's like they couldn't have been up that long. I mean, shit, they took a nap too. Like, <laughs> they took a nap. <laughs> yeah, on. they just took a nap. Got got a little drained by some pod people. You know, whatever. It's like you eat a banana, you're good. You know, like you just got to get some of that back up. Have a cup of coffee, you're good. You know, but yeah, power nap, getting sucked yeah, by I mean, a pod person. Have a little coffee. That's fine. Now you're fine. You're good for another day. But yeah, take yeah, five. Nancy had bigger problems in Friday or in no, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's whatever. Like you know, there's this big conversation, and they got to get out of the lab. Uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy's character ends up in a freezer. That's pretty cool. I thought that was a fun sequence of him like freaking out, <laughs> like hitting the freezer door. Uh, but then uh, what was it? They're like they get to the street level, and they're trying not to like they're trying to hide like their emotions, right? Because they eventually run into Veronica Cartwright again. It's like because they're like um, Jeff Goldblum has already been changed, right? And he died. Um, and then she's like, where's my husband at? And they're like, uh, we're not going to talk about that. But she's like, I've learned how to walk amongst them and just hide my emotions. So they, they get down to the street level and we didn't even talk about the banjo player and the dog, um, earlier, but 
the dog thing, I understand what they're going for. That did not age well for me. That yeah, whole, it's not yeah. perfect, but it is it is definitely one of those things if you don't know, then you're just like, Well, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know? It's <laughs> I don't know if we necessarily I don't know if we necessarily want to give that one away. Sure, sure. I think we'll save that for okay. our audience. If you've never seen it, then you have to at least get to that sequence and just, you know, take it for what it's worth, man. And the music like, cue is so weird, too, because it's like you hear banjo music that keeps playing. It's like, who's playing the banjo during all of this? It's like, you know, um, like I get what they're going for. And it's like, man, it's like it's like you talk. You mentioned the thing. Like, I feel like if you, you could have, like, I know there was no, like the budget for this is really low and what they did use, they did pretty well with this. It's like, my gosh, like they, there could have been something here, you know, but then I get what they're going for. Of course it doesn't make sense. And so the people like around are like, Oh God, what's going on? They scream. And so everybody, and we also got to point out to now the pod people, when they realize that one of them isn't them, they all turn and point and they may make this noise. You know, like they make this, you know, like uh, screaming type of noise. It's very unsettling. So, yeah, it's like the the bulk of San Francisco is now them. And, um, you know, uh, so the, basically at this point, it becomes like there's still this hope of like, we got to find a way to stop this. Sure. So Matthew and Elizabeth, like they're, they're running for their lives. And as they're trying to figure out what happens next, they hear like um, Amazing Grace, like bagpipes. And they're like, well, what's going on? Like, why do we hear music? And it's like, cause like we get the idea that whoever these things are, like they don't really like, uh, Kibner said, he's like, you know, like love and hate really isn't like, they don't really do emotions. It's more about like, um, absorption and uh, like, you know, being complete and just like things will be better if we're all on the same page type of thing. So the idea of like music would probably be like, they're like, they don't see any point of it. Right. So when they hear bagpipe music, they're like, oh, there must be somebody on the ship, um, this big cargo ship. And, and, uh, and I love the idea that like, um, um, Matthew's like, oh, ships, that's how we'll get out of here. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the pod people haven't thought of ships. You know, it's like, it's the maximum overdrive thing of like, we, we're going to get on a, we're going to get on a boat and just get out of here. Well, I don't know if that, that process works well, but whatever you got to do right now, cause everything's going to hell. Why not? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's better than no plan at all. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they're, they're going to try to get out of there. Um, and you know, I don't know how much more we want to give away because there are some definitely, some like big plot points within the rest of like, I think there's probably what, 10, 15 minutes left within the film at this point. Yeah. And it's just basically what it boils down to is, um, we lose Nancy again. She's gone. Um, she's, I don't know where the hell she is. I forgot where she went to, but she's gone. Um, loses track of Matthew and we, I don't know. Like how much more do you want to tell about this? Cause I, okay. Well, I like think it's fair. Major I'll just, one. I'll just put it this way. Um, if you've been watch, if you watch the movie, it's available on HBO max, it's available on Hulu. Like it's readily available. I know it's, it's evasion of the bias snatchers. You know, there's pod people spoilers. I mean, you, you, you're getting into with this, um, the revelation of once you put together, what was going on with the garbage trucks, that was the big thing for me. I'm like, Oh shit, that's way darker. Right. Like, I think that was a big deal. And then if you've not seen 
the end of this movie or like being referenced, which is kind of impossible because of the internet. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know, and if you don't know, you don't know. So good on you because, um, um, the end of this movie is a very seventies end of a movie. And I say that in the best way possible and that the director and the writer, um, and there's like one other person that would like that knew where they were going with this. And they didn't tell everybody else. They didn't tell Donald Sutherland until like the day of that they were shooting the ending. So nobody knew where they're going with it. And there was the potential of a second ending um, that was there written that they never shot because they knew if they shot it, the studio would have pressured him into it. So it's one of those things. It's just like they knew they're taking a chance, but it's also like, Hey, do you want to enter your movie? That's pretty ballsy. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, there is something really magical about, the that part of the process that i think that it, it's really like i think it it's a good choice for to do that because it like it's more genuine like the the reaction of the people when they're being shot in these scenes and that there there was more of a genuine feeling of it yeah and i, mean, I just think the the end sequence of this movie i you know it works. i think it's awesome yeah. i think it's really the, cool. the logic starts to fail because again we don't know about the autonomy of whatever whatever i'm not gonna get to it too much but i will just say that uh one of the actors involved in the ending did not know the ending and um like that that is crazy like that's um so when they are like reacting like that's like that that's the good kind of honest reacting not the william friedkin i'm gonna fire a gun on set and scare everybody type of acting no you don't want, you know, that's bad kind of reacting, but this was great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a hammer of an ending. I I'm always a fan of that. Um, like I'm glad that we watched this. Um, I don't want to do a twist reading because that think that feeds right into the ending. So I think in this case of this episode, we're not going to do that because I don't want to give like, you're right. I think that's fair. We've talked about this movie at length. We've given away most of it watch it. It's a movie that is completely worthy of watching. It's, it's solid. Um, I guess, uh, critics have been saying this is one of the better remakes ever made. Um, I, you know, I will agree with that. Um, I have some problems with the movie. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, but there are problems I like that keep me from like absolutely fawning over it, but I did enjoy watching it. Yeah. I, I probably had seen this for the first time, maybe maybe five six years ago and it was just one of those films that i knew i had been like sleeping on for way too long and it was it was really a, a pleasure to watch it and i had to have it on like the fanciest edition i could afford uh, i think it's a great movie i think it's definitely worth owning mm-hmm. um as far as like to speak to like how it compares to the original source material and the uh, original adaptation I wish I had some kind of thing, like something, you know, kind of uh, interesting to bring to the table as far as discussion about it. I will have to probably put that on uh, our fa- uh, Facebook or mm-hmm. something like that because I'm still I'm still in the audio book. I'll probably finish that tomorrow. Tomorrow, and uh, the original film, I'll get to it at some point. Uh, the other adaptations, I don't know because uh, well, there have been yeah. four movies made from the source material at this point. Well, and I will say that there is some commentary in here too, that I think is also very, um, like it speaks to like this type of filmmaking in the seventies where the, with the, the director shifting this to San Francisco, which is a very progressive city and still is. And then all of a sudden you get all these like people that, you know, like want to support 
a person's, you know, choice and individualism. And then suddenly it becomes like, you know, a hive mind. There's a lot to chew on there too. I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think, um, uh, there's like, you know, the idea too, about like, um, we get these characters that are like, like the women are, um, they have valid points, but like people aren't listening to them. Like, I think there's something to be said there too. So there's a lot really that, that is good in this type of like, when you do a remake and you want to approach it differently, I think that's the way to do it. Like, um, you and I, we were talking before we started recording seven hours ago, uh, before all the internet problems, um, that two of my favorite films of all time are remakes. And it's, um, it's the, the 80, like uh, 82 is the thing. And then I think the fly is like 80, 85, 86, something. Anyway, I love, um, the, you know, Cronenberg's the fly and I love, uh, Carpenter's the thing. And they, they, they both take the source material, uh, and the original films and they go and like, they keep like, they keep the ideas there, but they go in very thematic and different directions. Um, and I, I adore those films because like of the bold choices they make. And I feel like this, um, uh, this came first, right? So I can't discount that at all in terms of like timeline. And I, there, there is a, like, I keep saying a straight faceness and a seriousness to this that I, maybe I'm using the right vocabulary that I think a lot of seventies films had, um, that it wasn't ironic. Like there was an irony that creeps in the films later that this isn't that. Um, and so maybe if I was saw this like earlier and like maybe growing up, maybe it'd have a different place in like my heart. Um, but, um, I appreciate this and I appreciate knowing that this filmmaker, like he was like, I'm going to make this my way. And like, and then like, you know, uh, was it, uh, um, uh, the writer, I, um, WD Richter, he was also kind of like a maverick. Like you can see this in like spades in this. And I appreciate the effort here. And there's, there's some good shit. And even having Kevin McCarthy show up, um, and basically say the same line of like, they're here, they're here. And, um, you know, like he's not a continuation of his character from the original, but that was a fun way to kind of fold it in to be like, yeah, what if this person maybe has been around for like, you know, 20 plus years trying to like shout to the heavens that this is happening and no one's listening to him. And then he's just, you know, a crazed man that gets hit by a car. Like there's some cool shit here. It's just, I wish, I wish there was a little bit more to connect it for me. You know, like it's just, I don't know. Like the only way I could equate this is that you find an album that you love, but like you get some of the tracks, you're like, that wasn't great, but I love these bits, but you can't just pick and choose like parts of a movie. Like I'm going to watch one hour of invasion of the bias snatchers. And I love it. I'm going to skip the other parts, but there's a lot here. I liked a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you finally got to see it. Um, hopefully you guys have uh, joined us on this journey. Maybe it's something you've never seen and you finally get a chance to watch it. Um, and maybe hopefully we didn't uh, spoil any of it for you because I think this is again, you know, your mileage may vary. The famous quote from my friend Paul here, but uh, I think that it's something that you can definitely walk away from and be like, that was definitely worth watching. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, you know me, like we have our fun. I make my jokes, right? Like we didn't even talk about like the big thing of him finding the production facility with like all the all the, like the white linens and like the, the, the lights around, like the, um, the, the tank, like the little, um, lighting, like, um, I don't know what call them. I call them like the, not tea lights, but it looked like when they got into the, like the factory or things being made, it looks like a, a Pinterest wedding that was going on inside. 
you know, with all like the white and like the lights all strung up and how like he takes out the factory. I'm like, he just destroyed that wedding. Like, you know, like just anyway, like I know I make my jokes uh, and I know we have our fun, but I, I like this film a great deal. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like, um, like, Oh, that was cool, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite get over the hill. So, but thank you for, for suggesting this people watch this movie. It's completely worth your time. Um, and again, you might come away with it like a little bit more glowing than I did. And that's good. And if not, then go check out the original, um, or watch the puppet masters or don't watch the invasion. Yeah. That's what, <laughs> words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this. I know, um, you know, it's a movie like our episodes went a little longer, right? So, Anyway, um, you guys can find us on uh, uh, Facebook at Strange Highways. You can email us directly at Strange Highways at uh, stra- sorry Strange Highways Podcast at gmail.com, uh, wherever you find your uh, podcast, rate and review us. Um, if you like our conversations, let other people know. That'd be great. And Terry, how can people find us otherwise? Uh, we're on Instagram, folks. We're still there. Uh, come on over. Check us out. <laughs> yeah. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Um, you know, we're posting stuff on there still. Uh, you know, like for you guys to be uh, joining in on the fun. And, uh, you know, like Paul always says, you know, if, if you can do that rate and review, even do a follow, I know that certain, uh, podcast, uh, uh, resources, uh, will let you follow. So you'll know right when we drop the new episodes and that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, again, you know, like, uh, a lot of the people know, like if you like this, then, you know, just be like, Hey, check out this show. Uh, and also give us suggestions. We're like, like, so we're going to take some detours. We will get back to the twilight zone. We promise, um, knowing that the next segment we're getting to there is a Christmas segment. It's like, it's a little weird cause we're about to hit like spooky season. So like, I don't know. Anyway, you know, let us know. We, we know what we're covering next. We'll talk about that in a second, but if you have other things, other anthology shows, uh, for us to cover or, you know, movies, let us know. We'd appreciate that. Um, we've had some suggestions before we did cover was it the incredible shrinking man. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, like we're open, to, we're open to suggestions. This is the window for us to do other things that are not the twilight zone. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, for us definitely explore, things that maybe have been like kind of missing, you know, in, missing in action as far as like what we've covered in the past. Yeah. So, all right, let's just get into what we're covering next. And now Mr. Serling. So um, we're going to get back into some anthology stuff, but it's going to be a little different. This is going to be very exciting. Um, it is a series that we've talked about often in terms of our cast and crew connections with the twilight zone. It is Alfred Hitchcock presents there were two Alfred Hitchcock shows that were produced. One was presents and then the Alfred Hitchcock hour. This, the presents is like the um, 30 minute episodes. Uh, he ended up uh, directing, I think five of the 30 minute ones and two of the hour long ones. We're going to get into one of the ones Alfred Hitchcock himself directed called lamb to the slaughter. It's from season three, episode 28. Um, just go Googling it. it like I, I, I have found some uh, areas online to find it cause it's not streaming anywhere. Uh, but this is one that, um, I have heard about and, um, like Hitchcock, he, he likes us uh, screwing with the audience and this is going to be one of those ones. And I cannot wait for Terry to get to it. I, I have been on a Hitchcock, uh, um, tear the last like year and a half. Um, you know, he, he's, a, a an asshole of a person, but an amazing, uh, director and storyteller. And it would be really, really fun to get into some of his short form storytelling. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into this. Uh, it should be very interesting. I, I know you've uh, 
you've talked about it in the past and uh it, it should be very worthy of a, a discussion yeah so that's going to do it for us this week hope you enjoyed our discussion about invasion of the bias snatchers have a good week have a safe week um uh don't don't trust plants that's what i'll say and uh yeah so uh i don't know what else to say the <laughs> <laughs> terry's gonna be like but paul i have a i have a, a pickle plant to put under your bed <laughs> like or a pumpkin spice plant to put under your bed and i just got to say no to that that's what i'm gonna say no <laughs>